0: Well, tonight, again, the title of tonight's message is Week 1, Patience and Becoming. So last week, we found that King Saul has died, and David has honored his life, um, and the life of his son and best friend, Jonathan. And now we begin the part two, if you will, of his life, where David begins to reign as king. And before I get into Second Samuel, I want to kind of build up some things, because God really showed me, this is one of those kind of obscure yet not obscure passages where I had to read it like 20 times to really figure out what God wanted me to to do because I had thought about just reading through chapters like, like 2 and 3 really quick just to get to chapters 4 and 5 but uh, I, I felt like if it's in the Bible it's probably necessary and there's probably something in it um, so I was just like no I'm just going to keep digging and keep digging and God gave me some stuff so before I start reading 2 Samuel chapter 2 Um, I want to remind you of the prophecy over David's life. There was a prophecy over David's life that was given through the prophet Samuel that he was to become the king of Israel. And Samuel went to Bethlehem and found David, the one that God wanted, and anointed him to be the king. This was 15 or 20 years ago at this point in the story that the prophecy originally happened. 15 to 20 years ago that David was anointed to be the king of Israel and it's taken 15 or 20 years to get to this point. Do You ever get tired of waiting? You ever get, y'all are hungry at (laughs) night. You ever get, you ever get tired when like great prophetic words are spoken over you and it seems like no matter what you do right, it seems like Every wrong turn comes seemingly and it takes you off the path or you make a mistake and you go backwards or maybe you haven't made mistakes, but it seems like no matter what you do, it seems like nothing is bringing you into that, that promise. It seems like nothing you do is bringing into that. I want to become what the word was spoken over me. If I am supposed to be this, why the heck is it taking so long? We get these great words that are spoken of, uh, over us, and we're waiting. And we're like, God, when is it going to happen? I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting, God. Let's go. So we spend time in prayer. We spend time in fellowship in the church. And then we get to this point sometimes where we're just like, God, are you are you, are you still going to do anything? I'm waiting. And as I was thinking about that, because I'm sure David went through that in his 15 years of waiting He got this word that he was going to be king, and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Everything happened wrong, and I began to wonder, where was he at? And as I was wondering that and studying into that, God brought me to a a passage in Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 35 and 36. It says, Be dressed for service, and keep your lamps burning. Look at your neighbor and say, get dressed. (laughs) Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. That's a first for some of you in church telling people to get dressed. (laughs) As though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. And then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. Be dressed for service, keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. And then... Then you will be ready. Then you will be ready. Then you will be ready to open the door. God does not want you waiting on him in a sit back in a sit back position of God, when are you going to bring me into the promise? And there's so many times we get these words, and what we do in the church and what we do in our lives is we kind of sit back and we go, I wonder when it's going to happen for me. God, when are you going to do it? God, when is when is this breakthrough going to happen? God, when am I going to become what you told me to, that I was going to become? When am I going to become a pastor? When am I going to become the prophet to the nations? When am I going to become uh, the, the key evangelist to lead people? When am I going to become a great business owner? When am I going to become this? When am I going to become this? I know for me, my, I, when I become as God, you promised me a wife. When are you going to give me my wife? I, we all go through these, when are you going to, when are you going to, when are you going to? And then the scripture tells us, well, you'll be ready to open the door, When you start to get dressed, when you start to get ready, we wait for this big reward of walking into the anointing of the promise, but God says, I don't want you to sit and wait for the promise, I want you to get dressed and be ready for the arrival of the promise. And I believe that so many of us are, are wanting to walk into the becoming of this anointing, the becoming of this thing. Even as a church, we're wanting to become this thing. But so many of us are sitting back and we're waiting. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And God's like, it's going to happen when you get dressed. And there's so many of us in the church that are so um, uh, caught up in waiting for it to happen that we're forgetting that he's the one waiting on us because he said, it's finished. It's done. He doesn't have anything to do. It's we have something to do. He says, you'll be ready to open the door of the thing that I've already finished. When you get dressed and prepared to receive what's behind the door, you're waiting to open. And there's so many times where we're, where we're waiting to, to see the door just swing wide open. And God's like, you're not dressed. And getting dressed for service sometimes looks like nothing like what we're called to do. Sometimes the thing that you're supposed to get dressed like doesn't look like the thing you've been promised to walk in. David was anointed to be king, and I'm sure in his mind he wasn't thinking, well, I got to play a harp for a guy trying to kill me with a spear. I'm sure he wasn't thinking I'm going to be on a run from the current king trying to kill me, even though I've served him, you know, faithfully. I'm sure he wasn't thinking like, oh, my wife's going to get taken. I'm sure he wasn't thinking uh, these people are going to deny me bread when I'm trying to protect them from all these military advances. I'm sure he wasn't thinking a lot of things, but David was doing one thing very well. He was getting dressed no matter what it looked like. Sometimes you're called to do A, but you're supposed to be dressed for B. David was called to be the king, but he had to get dressed as a servant. And there's so many of us that want position of king, but we can't serve in the position and get dressed in the position of someone that serves a the king. Right. There's so many people that want to become pastors, but they can't submit to a pastor. Right. There's so many people that want to become like the, the, the key voice to the nations, but they can't like, uh, like, like serve an existing voice that may not be even as good as you. The, the, are y'all, y'all following what I'm saying? But yeah. we're, we're in this place of we think we want this, but we're not willing to get dressed like that and there's a verse we read a lot and i think we always read it in one tone and i'm gonna read it and i'm gonna tell you the tone we read it in is romans 8 28 and you all know it probably we know that god causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to the purpose for them we always read that in one tone we read it in the idea of when bad things happen That's always the verse we go to when something bad happens. Well, God will make it work for your good. But what if there's more to this verse than just when bad things happen, God will work it for your good? Because let's read it again. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God says, I have called you according to my purpose and I'm going to call you to get dressed in places that does not look like your purpose but if you'll trust me I'm going to use everything together for the good of your purpose. You may not understand why you got to be dressed for this but I'm going to make it work for the good of what you're becoming but you'll never get to where you're becoming because you won't get dressed for this. <laughs> I can tell you, I have served in ministry before before I became a senior pastor, and it was hell on earth for me. It, 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 there, there was a lot of times where I just wanted to, to quit. There was a lot of times I wanted to punch the pastor in the face. There's, some of y'all know him. He, he preaches here sometimes, and we have a great relationship now, and he would be laughing if I said that right now. We we all have times where we don't like submitting to people. But God's like, if you'll get dressed for this, I'm going to work it for your good later because you're going to know how you're never supposed to, to treat or how you're supposed to act. Or maybe you're going to see a fault in someone and you've got to learn to serve it so you can understand how to never walk in the fault. But we always want the glory. You know, we want the business, but we can't serve faithfully in the business. We want to own restaurants, but we can't flip a burger at Burger King with a smile on our face. You know, we, we want revival in the church, but I can't get five people to come here and pray. Yeah, that was a dig. <laughs> we, t- we talk about wanting change, but we're not getting dressed for change. There are things we are called to walk in now that are intentionally used by God to work for your good. What is your good? Walking in the fullness of what he has called you to be. And they may make make no sense. So we're told to dress. Well, how are we to dress? Look at Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, 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 Kindness when you're driving, Kyle. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. You you don't give them the the praying hand. You give them the, no, 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 y'all don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Clothe yourselves with tender heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There are two keys I want to point out and. How to get dressed. Number one is you need to be humble to tasks that you're called to and that people you're called to serve under who may make you need like itch cream because you can't stand to be around them. But God has called you to serve under that person or serve these people because sometimes we get stuck And we think the answer to getting unstuck is to remove ourselves. And sometimes I believe being stuck is because of our own personal lack of drive. But I think sometimes the stuck may also have something to do with God saying, I'm not going to let you leave until you learn what you need to learn here. Because you want this, but you can't even get dressed for that. And being humble says, I'm going to humble myself to, if I cannot move on from this season... Maybe I need to stop talking about how much I hate this season and start asking God, what do I have still to learn for my next? Because look at David. He's about to become king, and look what he's learned. He's learned how to love people regardless. He's learned how to serve people regardless. He's learned how to look out for people who hate him. He's learned how to be a great king because all he knew was how to take care of a bunch of sheep in a field. And there's so many of us called for this, and all we know how to do is take care of sheep. And we wait for that when God says, I'm going to cause everything to work for your good. Every position, every servitude, every opportunity, I'm going to make it work. But are you willing to get dressed in it? Are you willing to humble yourselves and do things that you don't like because you're learning something for what you need? Hmm. David had to learn for 15 years. He messed up a few times, sure. We all mess up a few times. He had many lessons. He had to stay humble to the idea that God knew what was best for him. David had to stay humble to the idea that God said, hey, I need you to run from the place that you're going to reign over. I need you to leave the place that you're called to be a king over. And that place that you're called to lead is going to try to kill you. But what do we do as Americans? Adversity comes, God doesn't want me to be here. It's getting tough. God must be telling me it's time to go. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Kyle, I'm just feeling the Holy Spirit's telling me it's time for a transition. No, it's time for you to get dressed. It's time for you to get dressed. It's time for you to clothe yourself with kindness to people who you don't want to be kind to and have mercy for people who don't deserve your mercy. We want to say we want to be like Christ, and he gave us mercy we didn't deserve, but we can't give mercy to people who don't deserve it. And then we call ourselves justified. (laughs) We can't clothe ourselves in gentleness. And we wonder why our work environments are hell. And all you focus on is what your boss is doing. And God's like, I'm having you serve him to learn how to do what you're not getting. You want mercy from him, but you can't give mercy to him. Or her. Whatever it is. And then two, not just being humble, but... Patience in becoming what you're destined to be. David's been waiting fifteen years, and I want to read you that prophecy again that was read to him fifteen years ago in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil, go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons. To be my king. Who's the son that was selected? David. The prophecy is simply this. I'm replacing the king of Israel. And it's going to be one of that man's sons. So David is going to be the king of Israel. Now let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. After this, again, Saul has died. Jonathan has died. And David just wrote a big psalm for them to just honor them. So it says, after this, David asked the Lord, Should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Yes, the Lord replied. And then, they, then David asked, Which town should I go to? To Hebron, the Lord answered. David's two wives were Ahinoam from, sure, from Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. So David and his wives and his men and their families all moved to Judah, and they settled in the villages near Hebron. I want to point something out. We see that David is, in a, is dressed in a very humble posture because he's learned something. He's learned that he should never depend on his own reasoning. Always ask God, where should I go? Look at the first two questions David asks. He says, should I move back to Judah? Yes. Which town should I go to? You notice how David is asking God for details? He asked for details because David said, I am not going to depend on my reasoning. Because think about David's reasoning. He has waited 15 years to become king. And his reasoning, Saul's dead, so it's time for me to go back and take the throne. But David didn't assume that it was time to take the throne just because the king and his three sons are dead. He didn't assume anything. Before he went and took the, the throne, he said, God, do you want me to go back? Yes. Where do you want me to go to? And there are so many times in life we have this human reasoning of, well, this happened and this happened, so that means I must go here. But have you taken the time to say, God, do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And what would you have me do? We depend too much on our own on understanding. And what that is is we're not dressed in Humility. Because humility is saying, despite what my reasoning is and despite what my thinking is, I'm going to ask God. Because here's what we do in our pride. Well, I'm smart enough to figure this out. I'm good enough to get this. I have lived long enough to know how this works. Your ways are not his ways. Your thoughts look nothing like his thoughts. It doesn't matter how much life you've lived. It doesn't matter how many churches you've been a part of. It doesn't matter how much ministry you've done. It doesn't matter how much life you've gone through. It doesn't matter how many kids you've raised. It doesn't matter how many uh, bills you've paid. Every single thing. God, what would you have me do? Stop trying to dress in your own reasoning and get dressed for service. God, even though I'm a smart man, an intelligent woman, even though I've got all the stuff, what would you have? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this in verse 4. My message, this is Paul talking, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of the world who are soon forgotten. (laughs) No, no, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for ultimate glory before the world began. Paul says, I spoke in such a way that you would understand that we can't depend on understanding. That the only dependency we should have is relying on God to take us where he wants as long as it takes. Because where he's taking us is in fact a mystery. Mystery meaning you're not going to understand the end result. You may paint your own picture, but what if you're limiting the picture? What if you're making the picture too big and God has called you to a humble position, but you won't get dressed there because you're waiting on the big? He says, you're you're not going to understand where I'm taking you because it is a mystery. So stop relying on human efforts to get you where I want to go. It's funny, people especially in America, have more faith in ideologies and practices written by men, but everyone says we can't follow a holy book because it was written by a bunch of men. Our entire mathematical system is based on theories of men. But we can't get in this? We depend on a law system written by a bunch of men, but we can't follow ten? Ten? The mode of our transportation is written up by people who came up with traffic ideals, but we can't depend on this. And he says, it's good to have some understanding, but when it comes to me, don't, don't, don't depend on what your ideals are. Sure, obey the laws of the land, the Bible says, but where I'm taking you, you you've got you've to get outside your mind, and you've got to be dressed in humility. And you've got to understand that you're not going to get where I want to take you, so please get dressed. David got that. And we read the story of the fact that David just asked for all these directions. And if you remember last week, again, Saul dies, and his three sons are dead. So, human reasoning, time to be king. But In 2 Samuel chapter 2, the next few verses give us some new context. In verse 4, it says, The men of Judah came to David, and they anointed him king over the people of Judah. Wait a minute. What was the prophecy? He was supposed to be king over what? Israel. But he was made king of Judah. You ever get... Put in a position that you feel like it's a demotion because it doesn't look like what you've been promised. So the first thing you do is turn your back on it. David has been wandering around and serving for 15 years and now it's Judah. When David heard that the men of Jabez-Gilead had buried Saul, he sent them this message. May the Lord bless you for being so loyal to your master Saul and giving him a decent burial. May the Lord be loyal to you and return and reward you with his unfailing love. And I, too, will reward you for what you have done. Now that Saul is dead, I ask you to be my strong and loyal subjects, like the people of Judah, who have anointed me as their new king. He didn't pitch a fit. He didn't run for the call. He honored the man that had been trying to kill him for the past 15 years. And he says, If this is what position I'm supposed to be in because I've asked God where to go and he's told me to come here and you've anointed me as your king, if this is where i got to serve now, I'll serve great. So he says, I'm going to be loyal to you, God's going to be loyal to you, and I'm going to be a great king for you. I might not be the king of Israel, but I'll be a great king for Judah. There are so many of us when we get the promise of great, we take that and we pass on everything less than. We want the promise of a great business. And we pass on every opportunity that doesn't look like a great business. We get, we get the promise of breakthrough, and we pass up on every opportunity until we see the breakthrough. We get the promise of this promotion, and we pass up on everything else until we get the promotion. We get the promise of God's gonna do this in Savannah. And we get so haughty and so prideful that we won't serve in anything small that doesn't look like what he's going to do. Not understanding serving in this season brings you into what he wants to do. And we will not see that door open until we get dressed for now. You know, we we want healing over the city. But prayer and Bible study no longer exist in our schedule. Why would God give us the door to walk into absolute healing and lifting of demonic influence when the people of God are not even passionate about it anymore? Is it okay if I just get real? Like we're, we're, we're not passionate for them anymore. We come here as a group on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, whatever church it is, and we, and we, we sing praises. But then you never crack open your iPod and put on praise through the week. And we wonder why we're not seeing revival. And then what we do is we we do come to prayer or maybe we're in our personal prayer time or maybe, you know, you feel better about your Christian walk by sharing cool things on Facebook. And then we, 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 we sit here and we go, oh God, oh God, we need revival. We need revival. And God's like, I need relationships. We want the big door revival. And all he wants us to do is talk to him like every day. And include him in every decision. God, should I take this drink? Should I eat this thing? I obviously have not consulted him in every decision. (laughs) Can I get an amen? We want the big thing. I'm, I'm going to eat bad tonight, probably. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. We want the greatness, but we can't get dressed for the small. When God says, I need you here so that you can be perfected and woven for there, Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, let's not get tired of doing what's good because at just the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I was I was talking to someone in here this week about the ladies' Bible study, and I, I asked Angela Ward how how it was going. And she, and, she, and she said, "Well, you know, we have five or six." And I was like, "Man, what is it, it going to take to get the ladies here?" And 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 she she just made me feel stupid. She was like, "We just need to keep doing it." <laughs> Because it's if we don't give up. And one thing I'm committing to as the pastor of this house is I'm not giving up on things anymore. I don't care if two people show up for prayer, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I don't care if I've got to look like an idiot praying for healing at an altar call every Saturday night. I'm not giving up until I see it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, can we, I'm not giving up. Let's just, can we say that? I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. <laughs> Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Everyone. Even the ones who have kicked your legs out from under you. Everyone. You reaping the walk into the day of your fullness is dependent on you not giving up. What are we not giving up in? Doing good to everyone. Excelling in the places that we may not even be called to because we're getting dressed for Next. Why would God move us from one place if we can't be faithful in one place? This is what David was doing. Because with moving on, we see the context of why David didn't get an automatic dominion of being king over Israel. This is why he became king of Judah. Now, he didn't realize this at the time, probably. He just accepted the kingship. But look in verse 8. It says, But Abner... Son of Nair, the commander of Saul's army, had already gone to him mm, 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 with, with Saul's son Ishbosheth. Like, can, can't they just like name people Tom? Like <laughs> there he proclaimed Ishbosheth king over Gilead, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, the land of the Asherites, and all the rest of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, yeah, there was a fourth. There were three at battle. There's one more. He was 40 years old when he became king. And he ruled from Mehanaim, sure, for two years. And meanwhile, the people of Judah remained loyal to David. David made Hebron his capital. He ruled over his king of Judah for seven and a half years. So you have a picture of David has been humble, serving the king of Israel, Saul, for 15 to 20 years. Saul dies. The three sons dies. And he's got to wait another seven and a half years. I don't know about you, but me and God would have a talk. But we do that. God, I've waited so long. God, I have been faithful. I'm tired of waiting. I'm too old to wait. I'm too old to work. I've been patient, I've been waiting long enough, I'm tired, when are you going to do it, when you going to do it, when are you going to do, do it? And sometimes the answer is seven more years because you still got some learning to do because you ain't never too old, you ain't never too young, it's you got some learning to do. David's starting his learning process before he become king 22 years before as a shepherd boy, simply taking care of sheep, playing harps, soothing a man trying to kill him. And he was faithful and he learned and he learned and he learned because he was patient in becoming. He was not going to take into his hands what God wanted. And I believe David at this point had a very wise thinking that if I got to wait seven and a half more years, there must be more I got to learn. There's a reason. So I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to be the best king of Judah. Despite I'm called over Israel. And instead of getting in his own human reasoning, he doesn't go after to kill Ishbosheth, because I probably would have wanted to do that. Now, I'm waiting for seven and a half more years. But he honored the pat that he made with King Saul. Remember the pat he made? He said, Saul, I'm going to give you grace, I'm not going to kill you, and I'm not going to harm any of your generations or descendants. Saul's dead, and David's still honoring the pact he made with the king because he was being dressed in mercy and kindness and gentleness, humility, and patience. He says, if I've got to wait seven and a half more years, I'm going to be the most just, patient, merciful, kind king this place has ever seen. Maybe we just need to embrace getting dressed in those things. getting dressed in patience and humility and kindness and mercy and gentleness. Hmm. He did good. He honored. There's a story in Genesis. I might read the whole story, but there's a verse that stood out to me in the context of this in chapter 29, verse 20. It's talked about Jacob. It says, Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days that must have been some kind of woman (laughs) couldn't couldn't even touch her or look at her you know back back in those times you couldn't look at the face of the woman there was an order in public she was covered that was only meant to be seen by the husband and Jacob said I'll work seven years to pay to get her. And as I was reading that, God told me, your patience or your lack of patience indicates the degree of your love. You love God, but you won't wait a few more days. You love God, but we can't pray a few more years. We love God, but we can't serve a few more months. We love God, but how dare I drive out of my way? We love God, but this space is too cramped. We love God, but we love God, but we love God, but we love God, but we love God. No, 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 there, there's no buts. Where, where's your degree of love for God to be patient? And I, I'm, not, I'm not against feeling that we're not called to houses because I believe we're all one church. And every house is called for a specific purpose. But man, when are we going to embrace the season we're at and just love it? Like love each other? I don't believe an army can take over the city if the army's not unified. Maybe the reason God's not releasing outpouring over Savannah is because we're not unified. We all have agendas. We claim we love God, but we get so tired of the repeat, the do-overs, the same. When is it going to happen? When, 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 when? And God says, can you serve me with gladness and love and joy in the midst of repeat so that I can be made aware of how loyal you really are to me? Going on in 2 Samuel 2, I'm going to read verse 12 through about 23. Is this good? Yeah. It says, One day Abner led Ishabeth's troops from Manaheim to Gibeon. And about the same time, Joab, son of Zeruiah, led David's troops out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. The two groups sat down there facing each other from the opposite sides of the pool. So you got two armies. Then Abner suggested to Joab, Let's have a few of our warriors fight hand to hand here in front of us. All right, Joab agreed. So 12 men were chosen to fight from each side, 12 men of Benjamin representing Ishobeth, son of Saul, and 12 representing David. Each one grabbed his opponent by the hair and thrust a sword into the other side, so all of them died. No winners. They were all, they were all dead. They just watched 12 on 12. Let's pull some hair and thrust some swords. Hmm. So this place at Gibeon has been known ever since as the field of swords. A fierce battle followed that day and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by the forces of David. Surprise, surprise. David's won like every battle he's ever gone in. Joab, Abishai, and Asahel, the three sons of Zeruiah, were among David's forces that day. Asahel could run like a gazelle. A dude could run. And he began chasing Abner. Now, you got to think, Abner's probably on a horse. And Asahel was such a good runner, he was catching the dude. The dude could run. The dude could sprint. It's, it, it says he could run like a gazelle. And he began chasing Abner. He pursued him relentlessly. relentlessly, not stopping for anything. When Abner looked back and saw him coming, he called out, is that you, Asahel? Yeah, it is, he replied. Go fight someone else, Abner warned. Take one of the younger men, strip him of his weapons. He's like, don't come after me, kill one of my lesser guys. But Asahel kept right on chasing Abner. And again, Abner shouted to him, get away from here. I don't want to kill you. How could I ever face your brother Joab again? But Asahel refused to turn back, so Abner thrust the butt end of his spear through Asahel's stomach, and the spear came throughout his back. He stumbled to the ground and he died. And everyone who came by that spot stopped and stood still when they saw Asahel lying there. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, what the heck is in this passage for this church? Don't run. <laughs> which I would have gladly taken. But then I read on and I saw something. Are you interested? Look at verse 24. When Joab and Abishai found out what happened, they sent out after Abner. The sun was just going down as they arrived at the hill of Ammon near Gia along the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Abner's troops from the tribe of Benjamin regrouped there at the top of the hill to take a stand. Abner shouted down to Joab, Must we always be killing each other? Don't you realize that bitterness is the only result? When will you call off your men from chasing their Israelite brothers? And then Joab said, God only knows what would have happened if you had not spoken. We would have chased you all night if necessary. So Joab blew the ram's horn. His men stopped chasing the troops of Israel. And all that night, Abner and his men retreated through the Jordan Valley. They crossed the Jordan River. Traveling all through the morning and didn't stop until they arrived at Mahanaim. Meanwhile, Joab and his men also returned home, and when Joab counted his casualties, he discovered that only 19 men were missing, in addition to Asahel. But 360 of Adam's men had been killed, all from the tribe of Benjamin. Joab and his men took Asahel's body to Bethlehem and buried there in his father's tomb. Then they all traveled all night and reached Hebron at daybreak. It's a lot of info. So let me break it down. Abner was the general of his army. The general of the army of the army that was fighting against the army of David. They lost the battle by a huge margin. Abner's army lost 360 guys. David's army, 19 so when I read that I asked two questions if David's army defeated Abner's to such a huge margin why was Asahel the one who could run like a gazelle still chasing after Abner the battle had been won by a huge margin And then, number two, I thought, what was the deal with the 12 on 12 slaughter at the Fields of Swords? Well, back in those times, the biggest prize in a battle was to get the general's army. I mean, the the general's armor. So you've got Asahel running like a gazelle after the general of an army that they more than defeated. Because he wanted one thing, even though we just killed 360 of your guys and we've won this battle, I want the glory and get your armor. He was proud of what he could do and he took his talent and his skill of running and he went after Abner for the prize and it ended up killing him. There are so many times we chase after a next victory when God has called you to be in a season of your current victory because you still have stuff to do. And what happens is we get obsessed with chasing next based off of your merit and based off of your skill and we don't consult God. We consult the pride of our skills and the pride of our accomplishments and churches do it. Outreach Magazine always lists the fastest growing churches in America. And what happens is every church talks to those fastest growing churches and say, how do you do it? Maybe God has not allowed you to grow because you still have a call in your current place. Maybe God's called you to be small, but you don't consult God on that. You say, well, I can run. I can create. I can play music. I can do print. I can, do, I can do lighting. I can do sound. I can do all this stuff. So that must mean I need the armor. I need the glory. I need the next victory. I want the next win. I want the next big thing. I want my church to grow to 200. I want my family to get a big house. I want my, my this. I want my this. I want my this. And God's like, stop using your skills as the thing that drives you and start letting the thing that drives you be seeking me. If Asahel would have seek, sought what God wanted, the answer would have been, you've won. There's no need for nothing else. But he was so caught up in his own talent that it led to his death. God won't sustain dependence on him. Not what he's get to this with. And I fear that the biggest thing that's going to hinder the next revival and awakening in America As a church being so caught up in letting gifts drive us. Not just talents, but spiritual gifts. Well, I have a gift of prophecy. I have the gift of tongues. I've got the gift of healing, so I need to start a healing ministry. No, you need to build relationships, start healing people. I've got got the gift of this, so I need to start something. I've got to go find somewhere that hasn't. When was the last time you just asked God what what he wanted to do with it? But we taste the glory. What can my gift do for me? What can my gift bring me? What can I walk into with my gift, with my skill, with my accomplishments? It's not that God doesn't want to use your gift or your skill. It's he says, seek me on where it's used instead of seeking your gift on where it will bring you. All this dude cared about was he said, I can catch that guy and kill him. Well, he caught him. He caught the butt end of his spear. When we depend on our own stuff, it will cause in our own demise And we spend our lives chasing victory off our own merit. Then stop and say, God, what would you have me do? Instead of stopping and saying, God, I'm in love with you. And if you want me to stay here, I will. If you want me to serve them, I will. If you want me to make someone else's dream come true before my dream comes true, I will. God, what would you have me do with what you've given me? What would you have me do? I remember when I took my first job in ministry at Abundant Life in Hardyville. That summer, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but I got a call from a buddy of mine, his name was Josh, and they offered me to come on board with their praise team as a keyboard player full-time and make money. And uh, it started off as, it was gonna be a summer gig. This was the very first summer I ever got a job at Abundant Life. And I remember um, going to the pastor, and I said, hey, can I take the summer off and pursue this? And at the time, I was, I, was, I was pissed at the answer. But now I understand why he said it. So much wisdom. He told me, you're at a crossroads, and I can't let you have this and do that. You're going to have to choose. And what I was having to do, do I choose chasing where my gift would take me? where God has called me to serve. So I chose where God called me to serve. And I gained more wisdom in the next seven years than I would have ever with a band gigging around Atlanta and the U.S. What do you follow? God or what you have? And then remember that, that battle, the 12 on 12 in the Field of Swords? What was the deal with that? They all died because they were all the same. They were just brothers. Not necessarily in the sense of being born of the same mother and father, but they are all the same people. Look in verse 2 Samuel 2, 26 again. Adnor shouted down, Joab, must we always be killing each other? Don't you realize that bitterness is the only result? When will you call off your men from you chasing their Israelite brothers? Why is it that we waste so much time fighting the same? God tells us that we're all adopted sons and daughters of him. And yet we continually are at war with our bosses, with coworkers, with parents with people who've done you wrong in your past, with people who cheat you in your present? When are we going to understand that there is a call to say, why must you always be killing each other? Why are you always trying to cripple each other? Why are you always at war when I've called you to be brothers and sisters in Christ? Because they're brothers and sisters, even if they don't know it. I believe the reason we're called to love our enemies is because truly they're meant to be our brothers and sisters. And we've got to stop looking at them as enemies. And start looking at them as same. Looking at the homeless man as same, the beggar as same, the rich man as same. Maybe we need patience because part of your becoming is learning how to receive people as God does. Because God received you when you were not of him. And he calls us to dress ourselves in mercy of saying, even though you may not know my God, you're my brother. Even though you may be cursing me, you're my brother. So I'm going to bless you when you come against me. I'm going to pray for you when you speak ill of me. I'm going to embrace you when you run from me. Maybe we need patience because you still think the best way to run your life is off your merit alone. And for seven and a half years, David says, I'll submit to this place. I'll be the king of Judah, even though God's promised me Israel. And I'll close with the very first verse of the next chapter. Chapter 3, verse 1. That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. (laughs) Remember, this is seven and a half years. And as time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Maybe God has called you to be patient in waiting because he needs you stronger to walk through the door while everything else becomes weaker so that when you come to the place to open the door, nothing will stop you. What if we just simply embraced patience and all the pushback we would experience would be done away with because we came so strong that the enemy looked at us and he was scared of us? All because we say, I'll embrace it. I will dress myself for service. I will be humble. I will be merciful. I will be kind. I will be gentle. And I will be patient. Amen.